0: Hey everyone, welcome to another amazing episode of The Collective Podcast. I'm your host Ash Thorpe, and this week we're joined by Jesse Kawada, a creative strategist and industrial designer at NASA JPL. Jesse joins us this week to discuss the beginnings of her career in design, the complex and constantly evolving nature of her unique role, and what her thoughts are on the industry as a whole. This episode is brought to you by LearnSquared, which is an online art education platform founded and powered by industry-leading artists. Learn cutting-edge art techniques and discover firsthand how other artists from around the world learn. So head over to LearnSquared.com to begin your journey. Here we go, everybody. Episode 146 with Jesse Kawada. Let's roll.
1: Cool. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of questions that I have for you personally. I mean, it was really cool meeting you at the Google. It was Span, right? I think that's what it was called, Span. Was yeah, Google Span. Span. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was. Um, I was I was unfortunately very sick then, so I couldn't like I didn't want to engage too much on people because I didn't want them to get sick. So, um, but no, it was really nice meeting you. And those like those are those kind of events. Um, they come along, uh, every once in a while, and it's really cool to go to them to meet. Uh, other people that are interested in the same things. And I I really appreciate Google for like reaching out and and grabbing us all kind of selectively with common common interests, but very sparingly and different, you know, and it was really cool. Uh, And I knew that we were going to have a longer conversation and I was for sure excited. So I'm happy to have you here. (laughs) It's really cool to have you here. It's going to. Oh,
2: thank you. Yeah, no, I was absolutely excited when i knew that we were on the same panel because i think i told you but a lot of the work that i do at jpl um you know isn't in, was inspired by some of your work
3: That's awesome. <laughs> As well,
2: so i was like uh is, is that really actually yeah, that's, cool. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's awesome yeah. uh, that feelings mutual because i'm a huge fan of jpl and nasa and all that stuff so it was really cool um getting a chance to to talk with you a little bit about all the passion and all these really great things and so i'm really curious about like how how you got your start where where did this all come from did you know as a child that you wanted to work for nasa are you starbound? i mean sometimes we we know that as a child i remember thinking, um, I'm going to be an astronaut when I grew up. That was like, you know, there's a few things that I really wanted to be as a kid. And one of those is that, is it same for you or how did you approach it? Or was it even, was it happens coincidence that you ended up there? How did it all start?
2: Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, I, you know, if someone was to say, is this your dream job? And I would say no, because I never thought that I could dream about this you know artists and designers you don't really think of them as part of the puzzle you know when you think of NASA so it wasn't even in my scope and peripheral vision of what I wanted to do in my career I knew I always wanted to do something in science um when you know when, in high school when you take those career tests uh <laughs> i always got artist or i got a creative person or um, a, a scientist and i always knew that i wasn't really that great in math <laughs> mm-hmm. or as, as strong as my uh you know artistic skills so obviously put that to rest but it's really funny because in high school Uh, In my environmental science AP class, um, there were these earth science diagrams. You had to learn about the biogeochemical cycles. And I knew my essay skills weren't as strong as the classmates. So I would paint and draw these cycles and these biogeochemical um, processes.
3: (laughs) And then I would just
2: like those plus points, you know, at the end of your grade and that, I don't know, added up to a few more points or something. But, um, so I always knew I wanted to get into the science, but just had no, you know, eight years ago, no inclination that it was even possible until I actually got there. So, um, but yeah, so go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. So that, I mean, that's really good to know. And it's actually really cool because I think of a lot of us, um, when we start out, we have intentions to do something like special or big or unique, um, but we're unaware of the possibilities and that's really cool. So how did you bridge that gap? You went from kind of not knowing it existed and then being there and working with those people and all that kind of stuff. How, how did you manage to make that, what, what was the origin story, I guess?
2: Yeah, um well so I'm from L A and so we always knew always knew about JPL and luckily, um I graduated from Art Center College of Design, which is in Pasadena. It's just About a few minutes away from JPL, Um, so close that we actually, or Art Center actually shares a ramp, an off ramp with, or Art Center and JPL share an off ramp from the freeway. And and actually, many spouses of JPLers have gone to Art Center. Hmm. So you know the the institution is is very familiar with Art Center, Um, and initially, you know, so there's always people going back and forth and doing talks and lectures and. Uh, initially I got brought on to finish an exhibit showcasing JPL's mission achievements in the solar system exploration building and then after that um, scientists and engineers started to get really interested in the different types of design that I can offer and it sort of took off from there um, and I and I sort of became full-time so it was it we just to be honest was really luck that they need, needed somebody at that moment to finish this one project, and um, the right people saw the quality of work and the potential, and sort of allowed people to invest in having uh full time designers there.
3: Hmm.
1: So that's cool, probably yeah. luck, but I'm sure, it, um a little bit more than that i imagine so yeah, yeah. i mean you, you 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 took your art career very seriously by going to like art center for example which is renowned as the best in our country you know still still is in, in regards to that so that's that's awesome i forgot that they're so close i used to go to the art center um campus uh once a month at uh, one of my my co- one of my teachers down here he used to teach there on the weekends and so I'd go there. I love that campus, but I, it's really beautiful up there in Pasadena. It's kind of tucked away up there, so I didn't know JPL was that close over there. That's really cool. Um, yeah. that's awesome, though. So you mean so at Art Center? Let's go back to Art Center, I guess. So why Art Center, and what did you study, and what were some of those like pivotal moments in your your career at Art Center that you remember?
2: Wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so I was kind of a nerd in middle school and did a project on art center and as a career project. And it, it's, to be honest, it's been my, was my dream school since I was really little. Um, but I didn't know what the multitude of design was when I was that young. I knew what illustration was because I had all these children's books and um, I knew what art was. And so I sort of went through high school thinking I was going to do illustration. And when I went to Pasadena City College before Art Center, still was really interested in printmaking and illustration and sculpture. Um, still sort of in that science section, but um, more about art. And so when I got to Art Center, I entered in this illustration and then did a few years there in that major. And then my pivotal point was when I started itching to learn about three D prototyping and rapid prototyping and um, strategy and business. And so, for me, um, I thought that it would be more valuable for my trajectory, quote unquote trajectory, to transfer to product design and industrial design and learn more about um, that functionality and how that has to play and how design has to play into the larger. Um, this basically different scopes of the world and it changed my life to be honest and then at, sure. um,
1: it's like lifting the veil right
2: it is like things that I just never I never knew was possible uh, um, in terms of how I could use my skills and then I uh, went to study abroad at a business school called INSEAD in France with um, a few other art center students and and that was another veil that got lifted mm. <laughs> because it kind of puts you in context where you you know at art center at your you know art and design school your community you're around artists and designers and that's all you know and um you know you don't really know your place in the world and yeah. so i always thought oh yeah i'm going to graduate and i'm going to create a product or some sort of some uh, item or or even an illustration or a book or something that you know, and it's gonna be successful. Da 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 da. But then you understand. Well, you know, if you if you want to do design and you're gonna work with business people or engineers, you're actually starting at the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um,
2: so it's, it's a long
1: journey. It's not a really a destination. It's kind of like a journey. So. Yeah,
2: (laughs) Yeah. it is about the journey for sure.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And your thoughts on like, um, I mean, when you understand industrial design and product design, it does like you said, there's a lot of things that we go through in life um, unaware of like, wow, the design of, let's say, like a milk carton, for example, like how simple it is. It's a box like structure, but then the way it opens and unfolds and then allows the fluid to come out, but then allows it to close back up. Um, the old original ones, not the ones that are that they have now, which is like a twist top kind of thing. But yeah. <laughs> um, just that idea of how those work. Um, it's really when you start to understand these things and see it all around you, you start to realize like, wow, everything that I touch or or or, or interact with um, that's man-made is obviously man-made and thought of, and either thought of really brilliantly or thought of clumsily. You know, and 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 then you start to decipher like, well, how could this be better? Is, did you have that epiphany as well
2: yeah actually that milk example is, is beautifully articulated i was picturing that in my mind i was like wow yeah i love the way that milk pours out of the cup <laughs> <garden."
1: laughs> and, and it's so cool how it's like it's so kind of cool. like an origami thing where it it works both ways but you're using the flexibility and malleability of paper to allow for two functions from it you know well three storage opening um, and closing you know which is interesting so um, yeah. yeah. simple things like that though I mean there's there's, you know the processes that go behind starting up a car that's another whole other thing you know and, and a car itself you know and then we'll talk a bit about like space travel and all those kind of interesting things too as well and why things are designed the way they are and your understanding of all that kind of stuff too but is there something in your mind's eye did you have that kind of epiphany when you started to understand industrial design and product design where you're like wow everything started to unfold for you
2: yeah, I think that when you get into product designer, just when you learn about uh, exactly what you said with most things that you touch, you sit in, you drive, you wear, you cold is um, somewhat touched or designed by a designer, a product designer in conjunction with an engineer or just a designer by themselves or a consultancy. So, you know, it's it opens, it, you understand the world much more you know that things are made for a user and that's the one of the most important fundamental principles i think of design is make it usable yeah (laughs) make it valuable make it usable make people want to use it um it's not you know just about making something look good uh it's we say you know form follows function Mm -hmm. and it, it's almost make. It's giving me chills thinking about how people, other people, don't realize that product design is everywhere, industrial yeah. design is everywhere, and it's so important. But it just doesn't live in, you know, other places like engineering and science. Um, that's the that,
1: irony of it, though. I think right. That's yeah. when when that's when really beautiful, perfect design works is when it becomes oh, this is a staircase. I'll just take it for granted. But like they're perfectly calculated and leveled and balanced and put together. And there's this handrail that's right at the right height for the average human being and all those kind of things. Like that's when it becomes a seamless thing. And that's probably why it doesn't live so predominantly everywhere else. And the outliers of design and stuff usually do bring upon like, you know, oh, I should pay attention to this because it's very unique. And those are the ones that are breaking the rules and doing weird stuff, you know, but the greatest designs are the ones that are kind of just hidden amongst everything else perfectly. You know, um, that's at least for me, that's my standpoint on it. I find it fascinating though, too. It's really interesting and how it's like, it's not in certain areas that completely could be, you know, and that's probably why, um, you mentioned like how you had created your own role at JPL. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. I wanted to know what you thought are, are really great examples of product design that are used today. Something that you use or something that you've seen being used today that are really great examples of it and why?
2: I'm <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking around my my desk here. I'm like, what on my desk is really well designed? Um, well, I mean, Apple is always, you know, a good example of of how they position themselves is not a computer technology company; it's a company that changes people's lives, yeah. um, and and that's that's a really smart positioning that I think JPL should probably take on. Um, <laughs> I'm also looking at a banana.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, designed by nature.
3: Yeah,
2: designed by nature. I, um, yeah, like people were saying, orange. Orange is the perfect packaging design, mm. and what I love about fruits and, and, and animals and is it's about biomimicry and product design could definitely take on these natural instinctive ways, mechanics of nature and infuse that into the design. And that's, you know, that those are, I think, amazing examples, fruits and, and animals of things that are designed and, and you don't really, you don't think of it. You don't, you, it's you, you, humans are—I are, mean, not designed—but you know, there's there's all of these mechanics that happen um that I think we can borrow inspiration from. um yeah. But I think, yeah, well, what around my a heater? <laughs> a <laughs> pen. Well, it said Blast. that
1: nature holds a patent of all creativity, you know, <laughs> because we just we're observers of our known world, so. And that's a good point is um, looking at nature because nature is designed over uh, our perception of nature and the world in which we live on, which is this rock spaceship that's flying through space is basically like, you know, very I mean, it's incredibly old and it's designed by time and designed by time is what works works and what doesn't perishes and falls to the wayside, you know, so a lot of dinosaurs or whatever and possibly humans you know so i'm just joking (laughs) um but yeah i mean that's a great point too in an orange i didn't really think about that but i think what i'm trying to get at is for anybody that's listening out there um one of the messages i want to really try and convey is is a kind of creating your own your own pathway and b being completely aware of like the brilliancies that exist around us at all times i find that I I, i encounter people that are like i have an artistic block or i'm I'm not really feeling excited about things. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like the dawn of the best age of ever. in mankind <laughs> there's yeah. abundance of everything. We all live like Kings. I mean, we have this thing called a phone that has like information that, you know, I don't know, like hundred years ago, they didn't have access to like, this is like insane, you know, like the amount of things we right. have. So it's a beautiful yeah. era we live in. So the orange is really cool though. I didn't think about the orange. And that's something <laughs> that I think is beautiful about looking at the world. It's like, your perception of brilliance around you. Nature holds it though. Nature really does. That's why I think, I don't know. Do you get a chance to go out and be in nature much at all? Like go out and take a hike or, um, go be surrounded by, I don't know, go to the beach or something like that without humans. Usually the human stuff kind of ruins it. So yeah, (laughs) unless you can look past it.
2: Definitely try to get onto nature and, you know, as an artist, as, as a designer, as just a creative person, you you, if you work, if you're lucky enough to work in that space, um, and turn your hobby into you, your job, everything that you do is technically quote unquote, like research. So I'll go to the beach and I'll just, but then I'll like, things will start turning and I'll, you know, think about a mission idea or I'll think about you know, a product or, um, and then I'll try to find a project at work that has to do with visiting these areas of nature. Um, but I wanted to just, if that's okay, go back to the whole banana thing yeah. um, <laughs> where, you know, you were asking about what products out there are really well designed. Um, and I can't necessarily pinpoint one product, but what I can talk about is the idea of asking why. And I think that when I also teach product design at art center, um, to high school students and it just, it's an introductory class. And what we start with is having them bring in, um, a product that they're, you know, off of their desk or something or off in their kitchen. And then we hold it and we ask why was, um, this handle designed that way? Why was this, um, valve the way that it was designed and you don't you know people don't necessarily think about why um and not just in products but in systems and services and even missions at nasa and so i think that's a primer for um figuring out what is actually designed really well Mm. and also um you know looking at users i think people a lot of people forget that um, you know we need to actually research about users and how they interact with something, rather than assuming how they might interact with a, with something. And so that is a lot of again what I'm trying to introduce to JPL is um, the importance of ethnography and user interaction and user experience, where you're 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 thinking about empathy and how somebody should, you know, or not should be, but in interacting with, with something from their point of view and in their shoes.
3: Yeah.
1: So that's very difficult to do that, huh? Psychologically and put yourself, it's kind of like you're distorting reality, I guess, in order to kind of achieve like a, it's almost like time machine, I guess, thinking about, um, the empathy of an end user at a given point in time, and a future experience. Um, how do you go about, you know, let's just maybe, I don't know, we probably can't talk about details, but how do you go about, you know, configuring that process of figuring out what an end user is to something that is unknown? Cause I have, I have a couple of thoughts on that as well. Cause I think are
2: quite interesting. So. Yeah, I think um, Well, it's funny, uh, my team and I are, we're going to go be visit. We're going to be visiting some farmers tomorrow for a project at JPL. And that type of in-person observation and interviews, um, field research from the design point of view is somewhat new to NASA. Well, it's new to NASA because designers haven't really been able to do, haven't really been at NASA in the past, but um, the idea of going there and asking them what they want and what they need, but then using techniques and strategies, activities, um, tools that enable you to look beyond what they're telling you. Because I feel like anybody, whether you know it's the public or, or any customer will say, yeah, I want this water bottle to have this handle because it fits my life, but it, that may not be the actual core problem. The core problem could be, um, you know, ergonomics, or it could be, you know, the time of day that they actually drink water. And that's how you design your requirements for that water bottle, you know, but they're not gonna tell you that because it's not on top of their minds.
3: Mm.
2: It's, It's being able to figure out the right way to look beyond and observe a situation Um, for example if I'm going to design a new tool for somebody's work area they may say I need I I need new staplers or something and um, the problem through observation may be well can you tell me about what you need to staple or what you need uh, what time of day you're going to staple and we can find out at the end of the day well it's not that you need more different staplers it's that you need less work or something
1: sure 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 understanding them in the more core aspect i guess because what you're basically stating is understanding the parameters in which you're designing and kind of getting the information so that your design has an intention i guess right
3: Mm -hmm. definitely
1: that's awesome yeah i was always i um I mean, I would get into all kinds of this this kind of stuff, too, especially in the work that I do, is, which is like working in a future odd world. Um, oftentimes, you have to kind of go f- beyond things. And one of the things I remember from reading Steve Jobs' book, for example, is he would, you know, I think when you brought up Apple products, is that um, they make the devices in which we didn't know we needed. You know, and I think there's a brilliancy to that, understanding the core aspects of what we are as humans, which is people that want more information, want to be connected, um, having that ability to do so and creating a, a device to do so, or wanting to have, let's, let's say like, um, let's look at music before the iPad. I mean, it did exist. There was like the Walkman and all that stuff. I'm talking about music in the in regards to um, handheld electronics, basically there was like the Sony Walkman, which I'm, I had one of those. That was a bomb.
3: <laughs> you had the tape,
1: and then you had the CD ones too, the CD Walkmans, and then um, then the in- the um, invention of like the MP3 and how songs didn't become albums; they became these like you know bits of information. Then they put it on, you know, like the the idea of putting your whole album collection in the palm of your hand was at the time was really quite quite crazy. But people like Steve, who knew that he wanted to have that understood it and i guess what i'm getting at is when you're thinking about these designs are you thinking are you putting yourself into it are you completely removing yourself and almost studying your end user as like let's say like a somebody at a zoo or observing an animal not in that kind of context of course but similarly i guess
2: uh yeah i think that it's important to go back and forth to remove yourself from the situation and observe purely from um the point from someone's day-to-day without disruption Um, a lot of times when you research people or when you ask them questions um, their conversations or what they decide to say to people um, are based on how they feel and or what they want to be perceived as and so I think that it's up to a designer to really figure out what Again, veil, right? Are you going to use to you know, get back this pure feedback? Um, But being able to put yourself into the picture and seeing how people are interacting, want to be perceived, um, want to talk to people is sort of a study of culture Mm -hmm. um, and interaction, which is, is a part of ethnography as well. I think it's, you know, using your own knowledge as a tool to understand trends and how your own, you know, assessing your own background and life, given this product, for example, um, I'm studying drought, doing a project on drought at JPL. And when, you know, drought is affecting me a lot differently than it is affecting farmers in the Central Valley, and we are going to go to uh, understand purely what their needs are in the Central Valley, the farmers, and how they assess drought. Um, but knowing how drought affects me in Los Angeles is helping me to understand the whole system. And I think that good design looks at things holistically from a macro to micro point of view and being able to use all of your assets and even people around you, your own family's positioning and understanding of that subject is really important hmm. um, to be to have a thorough understanding.
1: Yeah, I mean the topic of drought is very complex and large and it has many different perspectives, but it's very connected to us um, as you've I'm sure you're finding out too, just because we're all affected by it because we're water-based creatures and we need we need the water to continue on, carry on uh, our ability to live. So that's interesting. that's really cool. It's interesting that, um, that JPL is getting involved with that, too, which is, I think, that's really fascinating. Uh, you kind of started touching on it, and I wanted to kind of get into it a little bit further. Um, just the core aspects. To you, what is design? Like, what's the core principle of design?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, design, I think, well, the, there's lots of core principles. But for my particular practice, I think it's asking why, simply, ask getting down to the why, whether it's using a product, whether it's um, telling a story, whether it's um, moving yourself or somebody else through an exhibit or an experience, um, it's it's asking why, why do, you know, and then solving for that why. Um, creating the connection between point a and point b whether those point points are people or systems or tools it's getting something usable but i think to do that you have to break it down and and ask why and get to that fundamental core need as we were talking about Mm -hmm. um and i could see that in every type of design not just product and industrial design but Graphic design and advertising and film and uh, photography. It's really getting down to the heart of what is meaningful, I think. And through that, things can be strategic. For me, it's strategic, um, and there's all these processes that we go through. But um, you know, through this, not to get political or anything, but through this whole elections, you know, I think empathy is a huge theme. And so I think it's a huge theme in design thinking as well and possibly could help everybody to understand the state of the, the, not only the state of the planet and the state of our solar system, but the state of, um, us as a population.
1: Yeah. Empathy um, a, a important ingredient that's has to coincide <laughs> with, uh, um, uh, growing an over overrun population, basically. <laughs> yeah, because if it doesn't have it, it's yeah. We get into some weird conundrums that exist. So, yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, it's a weird political thing that's happening here now, and it's evident that there's a there's quite a shift um in the mind state of the people that live upon this land. You know, it's an odd thing too. I have a lot of friends who live overseas or a bunch of my friends actually don't live in America and they're like what's going on over there I'm like I don't know man like what, do you think I'm in charge of this I'm just on this <laughs> piece of land out of randomness uh that happens to be this one place you know and so um yeah and I'm uh, I'm one of millions and and I have a voice but it's very it's it's a fraction of a voice you know so um mm-hmm yeah so i mean the only way to exercise your voice properly i think is to have empathy and to understand that this is a democracy and the democracy isn't about winning every time it's about give and take and it's about um understanding other people's point of views and and living with that and experiencing that and, and understanding those things and taking a high level of understanding that stuff too and the first you know emotional reaction is to reject and neglect i guess but the secondary one is to acknowledge, observe, be mm-hmm. aware, be cognizant, and, and under ask ask why. Basically, that's right? Okay. Yeah, ask why. Like, why is this happening? You know, <laughs> those kind of things. You know, I think that's one thing I love about design too. Is it's it's not about just that one thing. It's it's a life. You can design time. You can design your time here, and you can design your experiences with things. And I find that to be fascinating because that's really when you get into those quote-unquote neo moments in the matrix where you're like whoa you know (laughs) you you start to break the 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 fabric of the the known reality in which you were um raised under you know which I find to be fascinating so
2: right right I, I think that um a lot of people don't realize well designers do right but the rest of the world doesn't acknowledge that design is problem solving and there's a spectrum to problem solving. I mean, where, you know, people are solving different types of complexities. Um, But it's all about thinking through a process and, you know, whether it's um, a movie or a conceptual illustration for space, it's um, you're solving something you're, you're there's a story and a narrative that is very strategic. In that, where you're empathizing with the user and how they're going to actually absorb that particular design, mm-hmm. and so um, I think that my whole thing right now at NASA JPL is to influence um, people's understanding that design is problem solving, and mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, at the at the core, it's it's empathy, but how we get there is problem solving, um, and it's also stories. Storytelling is part of the process that we're, we're telling a story through a product, we're telling a story through a visual, through a topography, through um, a film. So those are a lot of core principles. Sorry, that wasn't one. <laughs> no, no,
1: there's plenty. And that's a very complex question. That's why I ask it, because it brings upon like really interesting views and, and outlooks on things. Um, yeah. And that's one thing that I find um, to be a conundrum, too, in regards to design is there's just so many different things to that fit underneath that umbrella. Um, it's not about like just understanding typography, which typography is just a system form of telling stories and it's a language system you know so Mm -hmm. and but again it all comes down to that do you think that um you know do you think we're we will as a as a species will evolve past the 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 concept of everything needs to be based on storytelling or information conveying do you think that there's a there'll be a a bridge that crosses over that, um, that evolution, I guess. These are like, I'm getting, I'm going to get super meta and weird with you. So, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) um, Do you mean a time where we will get past the importance of storytelling or that they'll accept storytelling as a function?
1: Yeah, I think um, either or, or both. It's mostly like your perspective on like, because I think about this, I think about what it is now. And I think try to think about what it is in the future, which I I imagine you probably ponder this because you live in both the now and the later. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, because design is mostly geared towards telling a story, whether it's as simple as a stair design is to the story of this story stair design is to continue up or continue down. It's very yeah. linear and simple. Or the story of this milk carton is to open it up, use it, and then close it down and then put it away. You know, like. Um, yeah. But do, do you think that as a species we will evolve past that and the, the use of design in regards to um, conveying information or telling a story? And I don't. I, I'm, that's a weird question to ask. I know, but I'm more or less trying to open up a weird conversation about the future plausible re- realities.
2: Well, I, I hope not. And I think that it's, to me, it'll be even more important. And I say that because things are, as technology is getting, is being developed and getting more mature, and, you know, we're, we're moving forward into the future, things are getting smaller, uh, the state of the planet is getting worse. And in my opinion, with climate change and global warming. And, um, or let's just say that it's not the same as it was. And um, I think that it's it's really important to be able to connect the two together. And I'm hoping that through um, a lot of these these issues that have come up in the past recently, that people will start to see it as as essential, as a, as breakthrough, uh, storytelling as a story, you know, having a storytelling skill or ha- design being a part of the core fundamental solutions to create change. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it, I don't think that we're ever going to make that bridge and hop over to a place that doesn't value it at all. I think that it'll even get more important because Things are going to become so complex. There's going to be uh, technology with gazillion layers of data that humans have to interact with, um, and then but interact with holistically again, you know, in a system from the macro to micro point of view. And if you can't use that, if if things are so complex that you just want to, you know, throw it over the bridge <laughs> yeah. and. I don't know. I, I can't. I can't envision a future with, without it because yeah. I think it's so important. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? No,
1: I mean, it's quite scary though if you think about it. If the emerging complexity that happens around us, let's say like quick example is a, a car, right? Most people don't even understand how a car works, which is many many little explosions that are created by. Gas, you know, a natural gas, and there's an expel of gas, and it turns to transmission gears, turn the wheels, move front, forwards and backwards. There's so many different things that happen there, but it's so integral to life, it isn't it? I find it to be really scary, even even as complex, if if not more. Let's say like um, the phones or, or or a laptop, or how silicone based, you know, firing synapses and stuff work, and how complex that is. Um, and how like integral it becomes with us. You're right. It's only going to get more complex because that's just how we evolve. We constantly, we have one thing and we were like, okay, well, we have this now. Uh, let's keep going to the next one. You know, let's keep consuming. But it's, it's really quite scary to me when I look at it as an outside observer and a user, an end user of using many things that I have no idea how they function kind of scares me, you know? So, <laughs> um, but in, in regards to evolving past the, the, becoming like, uh, using design or just the assets of telling stories. Yeah. I don't think, I think that's really integral to how we function personally. I think that's how, um, that's what we know. Uh, I find that I'm realizing I'm getting older every day, in a sense where I look back and go like at my daughter and go like, wow, that's weird. You, you watch this YouTube all the time. Like, what's that do? And for me, it was all about, you know, watching cartoons in the morning then going outside and playing. So I'm starting to recognize how I'm getting older. And by that, what I mean is that there's things that are happening that I'm just trying to grasp. But I'm wondering if it's just because I'm getting older and the changes are so significant that I'm having a hard time grasping their Presence, if that makes sense, it's mm-hmm. kind of it's 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 more or less grasping the concept that the, the you know everything is changing and it's exponentially changing at a rapid rate that like my own brain is like kind of freaking out about. <laughs> but it's yeah. it's it it is what it is. You know, it's like I can't I can't change or control that. It's change is inevitable. You need to roll with it and foot fi- and find what where your pieces in, in the in the mad, madness of uh, the puzzle of humanity really. So yeah,
2: but, well. Talking about meta, um, <laughs> so I've been looking into narr- story arcs and narratives as a way to overlay them onto experiences at NASA and missions. And so it's interesting that, you know, there's storylines within storylines within storylines within storylines. And, you know, it's it's it, that in itself is really meta and interesting to me. And um, when you think about it's not just a designed item or object that has these storylines or a movie that you sit into. It's your daily life too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As well. It's, um, you know, your, your whole day has a lifeline. Your, um, hour has a lifeline. Your month has a lifeline and your year has a lifeline and your life has a lifeline, you know? And so it's like these, what's the heartbeat or essentially the story narrative of these experiences throughout somebody's life that, people can potentially change. And um, in order to progress, if they look at it as, you know, there's introductions, there's climaxes, there's challenges that you need to overcome, you resolve something, it's um, you're, you're trying to problem solve things um, during your daily life, that, that is storytelling in the purest essence i think you know it's not deliberate (laughs) yeah but it's a story and i think the heart of a story is making things simple to understand and through all this complexity of people's lives in the future they're just going to want to try to make things simple you know yeah as as much as they can and and
1: yeah i mean that's yeah what's i'm getting at psychologically is a lot of the things we use are made you mentioned like layers of story tell ta- storylines and stuff as you're trying to decipher missions and, and 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 kind of ex- I can't wait we're gonna talk about that soon too but um, more or less uh, the average person consuming and using something quite complex um, at the end user it's more or less um, allowing that end user to do whatever it might be um, let's say for example like I have friends at Intel for example and they have very complex. The, the science that goes behind making a microchip is very complex but the oddities that come from them making a computer chip that allows me to create quote-unquote art or design inside a computer is beyond what they were thinking might have happened you know but they're doing it in hopes that perhaps that would happen so it's like a it's a symbiotic thing i guess and it's always for me it's like constantly being aware of it and thinking about it and probably overthinking a little too much. Sometimes I don't too. So <laughs> get, get into madness. You mentioned at, um, JPL that you are one of the first creative directors. Is that what, is that right? Or you are the, uh, one of the first.
2: He, he, I would say creative strategists that also creative directs. I mean, when you are one of the only designers at in an institution that large, you sort yeah. of have lots of roles and, you know, um, direct or actually also do the design yourself you know
3: yeah
2: um, so you have a lot of different roles but i could, i would say that definitely you can count the number of designers on two hands oh, Okay. yeah right now no, so it's fairly new Mm-hmm.
1: that are in you have um, do you have a, a like a go-getting attitude about like being an entrepreneur like creating your own things do you are you, you know it sounded like when we had talked briefly too and i wish we had a longer time of that panel i felt like we just like barely touched on like so many things that i wanted to talk about more um but do you feel yeah. that as you know you're getting into this this role and you're starting to evolve do you find that you're you're more outgoing And, um, trying to connect the dots from afar at the, at at JPL or how does it work for you?
2: You mean more outgoing in terms of, uh, what, what, sorry, what do you mean about that?
1: Yeah. So like as an, I mean, are you, you, would you consider yourself to be an entrepreneur at JPL?
2: Oh, okay. Yeah, I would. Um, I mean, JPL is a little bit different than other NASA centers and we're actually, managed by caltech okay so in an essence we're all contractors for nasa um and you know being kind of the first of your kind uh at a place you tend to want and strive to prove who you are or show or educate or um yeah, show the value, tell people the, the value of what you, who you are and what you can do. So it's almost a survival instinct for me to do that. And um, it's been very difficult at times because JPL is a completely different culture of what, than what I'm used to. And they, you know, don't know what design is. They know that it's engineering Um, in their vocabulary but they have no idea the multitude of design and so it's very challenging but at the same time um, it almost makes me more outgoing and more empowered to strive to figure this out to help them understand the importance of it and what the benefits of of what it can do to to nasa at large
1: yeah no that's awesome that's really cool yeah, because that really is, um, I don't know, seeing the possibilities and the opportunities, but also having to deal with, you know, um, the oddities of, I can't imagine there's got to be some really interesting characters and personalities there too. So, and navigating that as well, it's got to be quite interesting. What, is, what do you, in your words, what do you think are, is the best traits of a leader?
2: The best traits of a leader, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think it also has to do with empathy. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> and being able to look at things from a higher up point of view and then take care and look into the uh, needs of your team members. Um, I think it has to do with strategizing, looking into the future, looking and roadmapping what is possible because uh, I think it's, in human nature to whether or not you're an employee, like anybody, I mean, I guess I'm not just talking about being, having a team or being a leader, but um, it's being able to, um, to understand that it's human nature, that people want to just belong and and people want to showcase their value and people want to be heard and recognized. And I think it's really important for leaders to acknowledge that their team members probably feel that way as well. And so being able to listen. um, And, you know, this also, again, overlaps so much to our state of politics right now in our country. Um, People just want to be heard. They want to be listened to. They want to be participate. And it's easy for for leaders to forget and to sort of be wrapped up into the, bureaucracy and the logistics of something that you don't sort of make time to interact with you know your team and i think that's really important um
1: sign of, you know, a, of a weird of a weird machine that's what i always think of because i think the political system is so old and weird and it was like made when there was a time when the world was much simpler in
3: a way it's mm-hmm. still
1: complex but yeah, it's just sign of that. It's like a really weird, archaic system <laughs> that doesn't make any sense because that's exactly what you're saying. That is that is a significant flaw. And I would say if there's anything about today's, you know, what's going on with today's policy, pol- political um, parties and stuff inside of America is that um, people are active now, which is great. But the same thing, It's at the same time, it's it's sad because the design of what it is is, is significantly flawed in my regard and my thoughts. You know, it's like, Oh, well, the idea is that this is designed for the people, you know, so then but then it isn't, you know, it's like not working necessarily for the people because the people we all have different agendas and there's too many of us here, you know, and, and to think that there's like yeah. one spearhead leader. That's one thing I find to be really interesting. And and just because we mentioned like, you know, um, creative strategists and also like creative directing and all that kind of stuff that that entails leading. And that's why I was just curious, like your thoughts on leading. And and I think um, we all have our different definitions, but I thought that's really cool. Like your definitions and ideas on the the core aspects of what it is to be human and the empathy of it. I always felt like being a really great leader also means being able to understand the, the roles in which you're asking people to do things that you understand those roles through and through because you've done them, if that makes sense. So you've earned that leadership Mm -hmm. role because you've, you've, you've gone through all those Mm -hmm. different places, you know, but yeah, I -hmm. I can't imagine at a place as complex as JPL. um, That's got to be almost impossible because the people that work there are pretty significantly interested (laughs) in what they're interested in, you know, so that's got to be quite difficult. So, yeah. Well,
2: I sort of yeah. to, I mean, to be honest, my, strategy um and it it wasn't a deliberate strategy but again goes back to like the process of design thinking and research and putting yourself in somebody else's shoes yeah like i i like to put myself within um throw myself into the sharks of (laughs) engine you know rocket scientists and you know kind of sit at that big table and say you know i'm I want to be an engineer or I want to be a scientist, like talk to me like I'm one, you know, um, because, or, or just immersing yourself within that and not being afraid and yeah. being intimidated. Because I think it's, that's how people empathize and that's how people understand is when they're interdisciplinary and together and mm-hmm. kind of collaborating, you know, side by side and, um, you're not necessarily becoming understanding that role that they play or what their needs are but you're trying to empathize with them by collaborating and uh, and i totally agree on the idea that um you know, being in that being in the role being in the bottom <laughs> grassroots uh, area and then working your way up, you sort of understand the challenges that people go through. And uh, your team team members, um, you sort of understand what it's like to be an intern, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. But I guess sometimes it later. doesn't
1: even matter, though, right? Because sometimes it's actually good not to have that information because you're not, like, inundated by all those um, facsimiles of information, you know? So uh, this is a conundrum I often hit because sometimes... Great leaders are just people that can get behind and push people, you know, to go beyond themselves, you know, so and not caring or knowing about it a la like um, Steve Jobs and putting all the albums in the phone, you know, like he didn't know how that worked. He just wanted it, though. And he was going to push people to to, to get that, you know, so um, which is I guess it's like a double edged sword, you know, so I'm I'm constantly curious about that as a creative strategist. um, What are some of the typical things that you find that are a challenge for you? Um, that you enjoy like a good challenge for you on a daily basis at JPL.
2: Wow. Yeah. I'm faced with so many challenges at JPL only because I don't, I still don't really understand everything that they're talking about and I don't think I'll ever (laughs) understand, but that's almost the beauty of it. When somebody says, Hey, Jesse, come over. I have this mission. We're going to study the universe. Like, literally, that's what they'll say. Um, Can you help us to figure out the storytelling strategy of this mission? And they'll talk to me about it. And, no, I I've read books. I've talked to people. When you work there for a handful of years, you sort of pick up on vernacular and vocabulary and how things work. But, you know, as they talk to me about their mission, I, I don't understand why they're doing it and i don't understand um the intricacies of their mission so my the, the challenge for me is to iterate back to them and pick and choose parts of their story that's important even though i may not understand it myself at that moment and translate it to them in a way real time that they can say yes that is my story um and it kind of came through practice of picking up um similar i would say narratives or similar uh, storylines that exist within the different categories of solar system exploration that you know that politicians and viewers and the public will pick up on and and, um but i think it's that moment of translation that is still very difficult for me
3: yeah (laughs) but it's the most
2: fascinating
1: yeah that's actually good and the thing that i'm kind of getting at is that by being one like a rare person there and and being open-minded and curious I find that it seems like you're able to really bridge a lot of gaps and connect things, which is um, a pivotal thing because there was something that you said that I felt was very true when we had met is that um, NASA and JPL is the people's company. Like it's, it's, it needs to be connected to people like myself, the citizens of this country and the people that are paying for it because that, that kind of what it is, you know, from what I understand. Um, And I think that's really true. And being able to connect those things by, storytelling aspects or understanding like the design of how this will be perceived socially in a, in a political and open uh, landscape you know which is really interesting too and weaving things around so that it makes it relevant because uh, as you know and i know like when you talk with somebody brilliant the brilliancy of them is that they're really into what they're into and they don't they just dive in like a laser and they ignore the rest of the world but then it allows them to be almost irrelevant if their if their if their story is so defined in this like finite little thing. But your ability to extract that and show like the value of it's really quite unique and and that's a design quorum in itself, you know, which is really fun too. Like getting deeper into that and trying to understand why we should be doing this thing and why the how the public can perceive this and get behind it, you know. So and is that kind of like the the main the main one of your main strategies and goals over at JPL?
2: Yeah, I always try to interject that into the conversation of, I literally ask them, why should people care about this? And at first it was very uh, difficult to ask that question to, you know, top rocket scientists in, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, why should I care about what you're talking to me about? Um, but it just became um, like scripted response and something that when teams of scientists and engineers come to these Programs to program offices that help them with their proposals. That um, it's something that they have to address. It's it's a, it's almost a mandate in that um, we've cre- we created that if you can't ask or tell what the compelling nature of your mission is, um, it's probably not going to win. Um, and so, but the difficulty in that is. Um, It can't be perceived as too easy, as too simple, you know, the mission, and it can't be perceived as too complex. Yeah. So it's this very, it's this balance of storyline that you need to be able to strive towards. And, but yeah no it's <laughs> asking why it's it's not as easy as people think no. especially when you ask it multiple times
1: sure sure and there's from yeah. different multiple different people that have different agendas and stuff too and trying to get to the core of it i can imagine is quite an interesting thing i, I we will get into um brainstorming missions and stuff but i wanted to ask you what's what's an average day like for you what's what, how how's your day actually usually kind of spread up and is there an average day
2: <laughs> oh yeah no there's I wish I could talk about what my average day is there is no average day it's always different which makes it really interesting yeah. um, but if I was to pull out a thread uh, of my week it's hopping around uh, JPL different labs and talking to different teams and talking to them about um, their missions trying to introduce and showcase what product design design and the importance of art is so kind of be an advocate of that um brainstorming in my office with interns and fellows about what is possible at nasa and how can we use our design thinking skills to influence um but it's, <laughs> I'm always confused to be honest. It's always, it's a good confusion. Um, I laugh, I, I tell people that in my Monday mission formulation meetings, um, not to jump ahead of, of what you wanted to talk about, but no, the, the things that I hear in that meeting about, you know, we're gonna, we need the black hole people to our meeting next week, or we're, we need to put, Pluto on the calendar for next week. I just sit in the corner because I'm the only designer on that team. I sit in the corner, I sort of giggle to myself, trying not to let them see me crack up um, about mm-hmm. the things that are coming out of their mouths cause it's so fascinating and I just can't believe it. And so it's almost an out-of-body experience that I have during mm-hmm. these meetings where I'm just like, where am I? What, what am I hearing? They're literally talking about looking at galaxies right now, and <laughs> I'm really hungry for some pizza. You
3: know? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, they're, they're, they're very far away, yeah, in a different place. Um, yeah. How relevant do you think that is to humanity, us looking out to the stars? I know that you, 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 you find some significant value, and of course you do, because of where you work and you, you're around the people that – actually really care about this stuff and think about it on a daily basis and their lives dedicated to it. But to you personally, how important is it as a species for us to look beyond the vessel in which we live upon, which is the earth?
2: It's super important. And it's really important because it gives us context about our own solar system. And I think that people, um, don't maybe realize on a day to day basis is and it's not their fault because it's really a complex thing to to realize and associate uh, relevance to is that you're on a planet and this planet is in a solar system within a galaxy within um, you know, multi 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 galaxy <laughs> and then you know et cetera et cetera yeah and connecting those pieces together and understanding why things happen the way they do. And, you know, as Neil deGrasse Tyson says, we're all made of stars. That that to me, it's true. Yeah, Yeah, Stardust, it's absolutely true. And um, I think it gives us a sense of hope and it gives us a sense of wonder. And that's something that humanity really should have, this sense of um, um, future and belonging to something that is much bigger than themselves, I think. That's it's. I think it's a beautiful thing to, to to know and to associate yourself with. So I mean that. I mean that's the emotional connection that I think is really important. Um, and of course, there's obviously scientific importance to that as well. For me personally, um, yeah, I think it goes back to the emotional thing where I always believe that. You know, it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm following something, you know, like there's that when I look up to the stars and I think, well, man, there's there's billions of galaxies out there. One of those galaxies has got to have some sort of um, habitable planet with, you know, I don't know, different foliage or I, you know, I'm making things up right now, but there's got to be something there that will help me to understand who I am. And I think that, um, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah. I'm philosophical here, but
1: that's important though. It's, you know, a, I, it's a big and large picture at the same time. So, yeah. yeah. And the, yeah, no, I think looking, I mean, being curious, I think is quite interesting and very important for us as well. And it's very, it's quite relevant in my perspective of just our place and and everything and yeah just like neil did say it's like we are stardust and that's like a a funny um term to use in science you know like because it is true we all come from what's interesting is you know from the big bang and then you know like how interesting is it that molecules combined um over time and then eventually we've evolved from those things and um it's really interesting and, and you're right and also to think that out of the, the infin- infinite level, I'm not sure if you're into the, the burst and stuff, but like at the infinite idea of inf- in infinity of other alternate planets and, and systems and stuff that live beyond our understanding and comprehension of time, um, that there is possibly another us having this conversation <laughs> somewhere else. I find that to be so fascinating. Or just like there's other, yeah. other experiences beyond us. And I think there's things that we as a species have no clue because we're, we're we're still using things like language that has to use like the phalanx of our, our not the phalanx, but like the, the the way that we audibly speak and convey words and, and, and language is so um, primitive, you know. So yeah, there's many things beyond yeah. our spectrum of understanding um, that I find to be really curious and really interesting, you know. So for me, it's like we never know and the little bit of time we have here is just so finite in comparison to everything else the grand scheme do you think that we're going to as a species evolve past earth and eventually or what's your thoughts on like this whole mission to mars concept and all that kind of stuff are you um behind this what do you think about the stuff going beyond our solar system all that kind of good stuff (laughs)
2: um i think that you know, we have to take care of planet first, our own planet, but yeah. the future is interplanetary. And um, I'm actually quoting um, our deputy ad administrator, David Newman, um, one day that she told me. We asked her what it, what is the what is the future of, of the state of the universe, and she's like, the future is interplanetary, and and that's so true in that. Not necessarily like we're going to ha- you know, inhabit every planet. We can't, um, but we can definitely go there and eventually, you know, intergalactic because who knows in how many years we're going to, we may be able to develop the technology to go beyond our, our solar system. And so I think, that <laughs> it's, um, you know, in terms of leaving our own planet, I, I, I you know, I'm definitely i don't think our future is mars but i think we'll always have to be on earth and take care of our own planets the only planet that is uh we call it the goldilocks zone you know yeah. has the right amount of everything <laughs> things to live, to everything yeah. yeah um but the next step for mankind and it's is is mars and then once we learn about Mars and learn how Mar- how mankind can adapt and live in on a, in a longer period of time on another planet, we can figure out how to go beyond Mars um, and protect ourselves from radiation, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a stepping stone. Yeah. Um. And I totally behind it. I think it's fascinating.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating. There's, you know, we'll talk about Elon SpaceX here in a minute, but like it is fascinating. The, um, that's how I, you responded exactly the way I do. It's like, let's try to figure out how to take care of Earth first, <laughs> because that's a bigger problem, I think. And if we can't take care of something that's, it's like, um, it's like the spoiled kid syndrome. It's like you get a gift and it's this amazing gift, but it's so good that you don't realize how special it is. And by doing so, you've kind of ruined how precious it is by just disacknowledging it, not acknowledging it. So I find that it's really mm-hmm. important for us to acknowledge the significant beauty of just being created on this planet and how like tailor-made it is for us, you know, um, and how significant it is for us to understand like like, yeah, like you're getting into like the science of drought and understanding how that affects us as a species and um, how it affects us because we're multiplying at a rapid rate, you know, and and overpopulation is a conundrum to be dealt with, you know? So, but yeah, I mean the, 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 the the, the immerse idea of, of space travel uh, interplanetary, I think for sure, that's very interesting. I mean, I think a lot of things, it's it's mostly just like that romantic idea of going somewhere else. And I get that. I wouldn't want to live on Mars, honestly. I I love it here. So like, it's, (laughs) I mean, it's really, it's beautiful to think of going somewhere else, but it, it's a very hostile place. Um, yeah. If you understand the physics of these things, it's 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 not made for us. We're not made yeah. to be there. It, it can be terraformed and it will be changed if we decide to do so. But it's quite interesting, right. though. Um, right. Yeah, but I don't know how close you guys are and all that kind of stuff. I imagine very close. So <laughs> it's yeah. just more or less I'm just curious as, as a citizen that observes everything from afar. So.
2: Yeah, I, NASA has this big sort of program or initiative called journey to Mars. And it's all about figuring out how to get humans to Mars, but it's, you know, we're at the first step. We're figuring out the literally how to get there. Um, we're looking into, yeah. well, sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I uh, cut out, but I was just saying and coming back as well. Cause I
2: know it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't want to stay there and die, but, yeah. <laughs> but you know, in terms of actually, like you said, terraforming and, creating civilization and figuring out how to live there from a long period of time we've only just begun and we can't necessarily um really figure out how to do that until we figure out how to get there and so um you know and that that'll take a while that'll take a while because we literally you know a few years ago just landed a rover on mars and Studied the soil, you know, and and so we have some steps between now and then to go there. But I just wanted to mention one thing that really resonated with me through um, my research recently is uh, our our administrator, NASA administrator Charlie Bolden, um, said something about the state of Earth science and why it shouldn't be taken away. Um, and his response, one of his responses was, well uh we need to know if kennedy space center is going to be underwater or not cuz we can't launch off of the earth <laughs> if our launch pad is underwater it's, <laughs> um, to inter, you know to interplanetary space we know that spacex can launch from from the ocean right now but that's a different you know that's for a different destination yeah. uh, so far so it, it's a good point you know where people forget that we you know, live on a planet and people sort of like to categorize earth in a different, a separate category than space exploration, but earth is a planet and it's in space. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it yeah. is. And there's lots of, there's a significant parts of the earth that has still unexplored and unknown mainly like the oceans, which is huge. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's yeah. depths of the oceans that have been unexplored and, um, yeah. I th- again, I think it's the spoiled kid syndrome, not in a bad way. It's just unaware basically of the significance and the beauty and the people that are aware of, of the power of what we, we've been blessed with at the same time we've evolved on it. So we've kind of, to talk about design, we're designed to be perfectly placed on this planet, you know, like because we've evolved with it, you know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, the idea of going beyond that is really interesting. I always use the analogy of like, the evolution of my my body still thinks that my that I still need hair like on my arms for example um but my, it's like my brain forgot to tell my body the memo. Like, oh, we don't need hair anymore. We have this thing <laughs> called like clothing that we've developed. <laughs> uh, this are so the brains living beyond the body, basically. What I'm yeah. getting at, and so the yeah. our minds are living beyond the earth. And I think that's which quite, quite interesting. We're as a, as a species living beyond everything. So it's quite quite interesting. I think it's really good. I think it's cool. I think there's there's a lot of really interesting things going on with a lot of um, special people at the, at the driver's seat doing interesting things, you know? So, um, Mm -hmm. how do you go about brainstorming new missions and stuff? I mean, we talked a little bit about the Juno mission to Jupiter. Um, one of the things you mentioned when we talked was, was about like, you know, you're helping like, okay, we want to take this photo of Jupiter, which is to me, that's insane because I mean, you know, a little bit about me. I love this kind of stuff. And so I'm like, that's what a privilege that is to be like, okay, we're going to see Newer imagery of a significant planet on our solar system, the largest, and I get to figure out, like, with my team, what photos we're going to take of this planet, how right. important and how ex- expensive that photo is, and how important it is, and why and the significance. So, how do you go about navigating all those different waters to to get to you know, okay, we're going to take this picture. You know, how how, how does that work?
2: Yeah. Um, well those sort of opportunities of being able to ideate on what pictures to take are sort of come a little rare. But what is more um, common in my role as brainstorming new missions is um, teams of scientists and engineers will come to a group of uh, systems engineers called A-team. And it's a it's a team, it's a program from a program office office called the Innovation Foundry uh, that knows how to architect a new mission uh, from scratch. And so somebody may come, may come with money and say, I need to go to Jupiter, or I need to, I have money to look at how we can go into Mars caves, or how we can use a certain technology to study. Uh, Neptune or something like that, but their expertise is in one part of a mission for perhaps propulsion or perhaps an instrument or perhaps just in the science of something and need a team of people to come together and collaborate on putting all of the puzzle pieces of a mission together, for example, trajectory and, um, what platform do you need? What's the power going to look like? Um, you know, and even why are you why are you doing this mission? How are you going to sell this mission? When are you going to launch it? And it's all very strategic. Yeah. And so, a team, this group of systems engineers, um, we facilitate uh, brainstorms, rapid brainstorms that sort of borrow techniques, or now they do since I'm on the team, from design thinking and storytelling to quote unquote, architect a mission concept, which is basically a system of subsystems. Um, And we prototype during these sessions, we draw, we go go crazy on the whiteboards, Um, we make things, we listen to each other. Um, And this happens very rapidly from three hours to about two days we come up with a report that is sort of a menu of options of what this person, or this team can do with their mission. And then they take this menu or uh, buffet of things and take it to the next point of the mission formulation process. And then another team sort of plays with it and and creates a higher fidelity uh, concept from it. And then it just becomes a proposal because NASA, uh, what they do is, They need to compete for missions. Mm. Um, All the centers need to compete for missions. So, this proposal is actually a prime product, a core product of what um, JPL does. And that's how we get more money to do more missions, is that we compete. And, you know, how we'll get there is creating a really juicy recipe, right, of how to um, create your mission. And so, moments that involve maybe more elements of taking pictures or images um, kind of come from opportunities that I have been able to um, create myself with with this network of people that I work with, um, it, creating my own mission um, idea, which is to have an instrument on the body of the belly of a host spacecraft that deploys um, – cameras that take pictures of spacecraft as it's approaching a planet or something. And that is really cool because we're trying to sell the idea of storytelling drives technical requirements, which is a very radical idea at NASA. But I think with that idea, giving humanity, um, basically giving humanity an instrument, the opportunity to um, see and experience the journey of a spacecraft not only celebrate the destination, um, having that as a, um, a a core thing on every mission. I mean, that's that's what the idea is, and, and that's something that um, myself and a colleague have been working on uh, to propose to people. And and that you know we we can actually figure out what images to take ourselves.
3: Yeah, that's
2: cool. <laughs> have it vet through you know an engineer that or a scientist that might may say no but i think we need that science that you know we need to take this picture because we need the science instead um so yeah and and, and, and i don't know if that (laughs) no no
1: it's it's very complex it's sounding and it's it's, there's multiple levels of politics and and things like that to make sure that everybody's like on the same page, I imagine. So, and and also getting people behind what it is. So, and that's actually quite cool and interesting about the mechanism of designing these missions is getting um, funding and things behind it making it sure that it's relevant. You know, like we need to study, you know, meteorite awareness because one could smash into the earth and completely obliterate us, you know, (laughs) things like that. And using, let's say like the storytelling aspect of fear to convey, like, we need this now, kind of thing, and the urgency behind these things. But at the same time, I think that there's, it seems like there's a lot of really interesting things behind it. It's, it sounds like it's a very big thing. Like, a it's, 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 it's very massive. Many different people's, um, and their, their intentions and, and desires, you know, that are behind, the, behind a lot of these intentions. So, yeah, it's just re- really interesting because it's hard. It's, I, I can't imagine how hard it is to to tell a, a populace that can't even agree upon like a leader hey let's go and like study this thing that's completely irrelevant to you or your grandchildren but maybe your grand 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 grandchildren might be affected by this you know and and finding that significance and telling and weaving that story i think is quite interesting so um so that kind of leads us into this next segue i wanted to get into before we close up is um your thoughts on you know privatization of space travel elon musk spacex um, the the new kid on the block, I guess, in, in the space race. What are your personal thoughts on it? And and can you even talk about this stuff where you get in trouble? That I, <laughs> damn you, Elon. Do you? I mean, I'm, imagine yeah. it's, it's, it's good to have competition. I think it's amazing. That's what makes great things happen. So
2: yeah, um, yeah. You know, and i I don't think it's we're being. I don't think we're competing against anyone. NASA will always be about sort of space and research. You know, we're really. We're really an R and D center, Um, so you know, and we're nonprofit. So I think the privatization, commercialization of space is only um, at least benefits NASA, the whole industry of space exploration. And I think it's um, amazing to know that people are coming together and contributing to this one cause. Now, if it you know we need to do it. Nicely, <laughs> we don't want to get in each other's nerves, but um, I think that it's help. It's not. It's helping everybody. Everybody's cause. NASA is helping private space industry. Private space industry is helping us. You know, save money on costs with rockets and allowing us to um, send payloads to the ISS helping, we're helping each other develop technology, we're building, we call it building off the shoulders of giants, you know, I I think that this is a really interesting time right now. Um, But it's also a time to then accentuate storytelling, I think, because uh, people see SpaceX, because SpaceX has a really amazing way of marketing and showing the world what they're capable of doing and what the state of uh, exploring Mars is. And um, what the world doesn't know as much is that NASA is also doing that and helping each other, helping SpaceX and vice versa. And I think it's um, in order for humanity to understand the bigger picture, NASA needs to step up and figure out how they can um, storytell and, and, be in that limelight and, and talk about what they are capable of and what they can offer to humanity, mm-hmm. um, given the amazing ways that these private commercial space industry uh, companies with a lot, you know with more money than NASA can do. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, in, in essence, I think it's great, and I'm really excited for it. Um, it's definitely you could feel the excitement of space is more than it used to be you know public
1: maybe back in the kennedy it just feels like it's back when kennedy was around and stuff where yeah it was like this reviewer thing um yeah and i think that's definitely a good position to have to remind people of the significance and the power that's behind it and and it's almost like manipulating with propaganda and stuff i get it it makes sense you know and that's at the same time it's kind of like why sport events still work people love to like root for their team and watch the television and say we and stuff when in fact it's it's not them at all they're just experiencing it through the television so um and it's kind of a similar similar thing that happens too it's like yeah keep going travel that space you know go and do that and it's being and being engaged i think is really quite important and and designing that um for popular public interest and intrigue i think is only going to help so yeah i love that i love the idea i've read up on all i've read about elon quite a bit and did some studying on him and very intrigued um with his intentions and stuff and i think it's really fascinating to see somebody that has a ton of capital um taking significant risks uh if only you know the world's wealthiest would do so and take significant risks to try and improve certain things or or um, do these things? I think it'd be really quite interesting. And rather than I don't know what the hell they do. What, what do rich people do like that? That have that much money? I, don't know. I have no clue. I have Go no clue. Take so
2: take a two hundred thousand uh, dollar <laughs> ride to the stratosphere. Yeah, in I, <laughs>
1: yeah, for like that's their afternoon or something. Yeah. So it's like it's a whole different different ball game, you know. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting, but it's cool. It's cool to hear. And I think your position is completely right, and I agree. And I think that. Um, if you guys are, and since you guys are doing that and you have been for such a long time, it's mostly just about conveying that to the public and having that, you know, that system behind it, because that's, Kennedy used that, you know, and, 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 and it was a very big, important part of our culture at that time to go and travel and get off the planet and go check out the moon and, and you know, like go beyond our grasp. So
2: yeah, yeah. I think it's really important. I think it's quite- the private and commercial space industry, um, is at least, you know, they're doing so much, but they're creating hype. And that is benefiting NASA a lot in that, um, they're helping us out with connecting to our public, you know, and, 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 you know, when somebody looks up something about SpaceX, then they might look up something about NASA, you know? And I think, um, we are at space age 2.0, um, and, because it's integrated in our culture now and our everyday lives and people are, um, so, so much so in sci- sci- sci-fi, it, it's really fascinating how much it's grown in the past few years as well.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's really cool. I love it. I'm, I'm all on board and I, I as you know, I'm a big fan of space. So it's just like, this is great. It's coming back with a vengeance. So it's really cool. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, a couple last questions i wanted to ask you more on a personal state is what are some of your favorite films and are films an inspiration for you in in regards to design and in regards to what you do in your career
2: um what like what kind of films sci-fi or documentary?
1: whichever whichever what's like a film that you you know let's say like a, a film that you don't mind re-watching or find yourself like one of them for me is like i would watch like um like Home Alone, like it's it's <laughs> silly and funny. And especially I say that because it's coming up on Christmas time and it's like yeah. it's it's almost Home Alone time. That's the family says, oh, it's dad's going to be watching a, you know, Home Alone and the Christmas story. But I mean, do you have films that you come to um, over time or is there is, is there some things that you the films that you you that changed your life or made you think about the world outside or maybe influenced your career?
2: Well, I love Home Alone. That's (laughs) that's
1: that's the whole JPL inspiration is Home Alone. (laughs)
2: Um, um, Gosh, I have so many different types of films that I like. Um, I'm kind of a a nerd, and that I love watching whimsical fantasy films, like uh, you know, series of unfortunate events, Harry Potter. Um, And I think the reason is because of the storytelling and that there's something addicting about that, you know, that that kids love. And it's it inspires me to create that viral essence of wanting to know more and wanting to wonder and be fascinated about something magical you know because i think space exploration is also really magical yeah
1: Um, the unknown
2: the unknown and i also love uh french nouveau french new wave okay um and sort of 60s films because it it gives a glimpse of what it was like in the space age you know Mm. and Mm. i you know dream about going back in time in a time machine and (laughs) experiencing what it was like, or just watching what it was like to be a part of that era. Um, being, you know, being immersed in not only the space age that NASA, but the culture of mod and the culture of, um, mid century modern furniture and all of that. So I, I, love those types of films as well in that genre.
1: It's crazy how close that is yet how far it feels, you know, it's yeah. only, you know, just a couple of decades really away and how different the mindset and the people and everything, how just everything was so different, you know? So yeah, that's yeah, always, stuff fascinates me too. That's awesome.
2: I, I do, um, I don't know if I should actually say this on this podcast, but I really, ner- I like nerd out to Jurassic Park soundtrack on pot on, um, pandora and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and star trek and star wars soundtrack oh, when i am awesome. like in my office late at night well, and john williams I, is
1: a genius so yeah. yeah
2: and i need like inspiration i'm like you know i'm really tired and i'm hungry and i'll like turn on some sci-fi pot uh sci-fi pandora channel and then i'll be like yeah this is this is what i'm doing right now Send <laughs> i in a spaceship and
1: that's so This is, the podcast is the perfect place to distill that thing. Down. <laughs> no, um, yeah, no, absolutely. I John Williams is amazing, and music is a big inspiration too. And and his music is 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 is, is he's a genius at what he does because he does that. He does that for people. He imagine Star Wars without that soundtrack, or imagine Jurassic Park without. I mean, Steven Spielberg has his career to thank for. You know, like these guys. You know, George Lucas. I mean, all these guys have a significant um, part of their careers thanks to him, you know, and the things and the scores and the sounds and the feel that he conveys and brings. And it's interesting. I, I'm, I'm the same way too. I, have you, have you, um, have you seen Arrival yet? You watched that movie? No, I uh, can't wait yeah.
3: to see it. Yeah, I'm you need
1: to see it. Go see it. Let <laughs> me know what you think of it. Cause I, okay. yeah, I adored it in many capacities. And so now I'm reading and listening to all Ted's uh, Ted Chang. I think that's, I believe that's the author's name. Um, he, he's a science sci-fi writer, but I'm reading his books right now and I've just got to arrival or it's called the, the history of you or something like that, or the many lives of you or something like that. So, um, I love that kind of stuff as well. And it kind of evolves my thinking of things because again, it's like living in the now than living in the later and, and outside of our reach and stuff. So.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well,
1: you let should. me know how that goes too. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy, um, it's, I'm really enjoying it, but you should definitely see that film because I think you'd enjoy it. And the last question I wanted to ask and just more or less like, it's kind of a common thing that I've been asking all of the guests that we have on the show is more or less for people that are out there, um, designers, artists, creative types that are kind of trying to find their way. Is there any advice or thoughts you can give to them? Cause you seem to be very much an entrepreneur in your case where you, are curious and, and all about, you know, expanding your ideas and, and trying new things. So is there any advice that you can give to um, any future designers out there and their careers and their paths?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, I would say first and foremost, don't give up because mm-hmm. if you want to try yourself, you know, try a career in a place where design and art may not exist yet, in a culture, in a very different culture, it's so easy to be challenged, um, you know, more than a handful of times on a daily basis and be and feel that it's not worth it. But you kind of just have to not give up and, and think about the value and the future that it can have. Um, another thing is to be versatile. I think that since uh, places, you know, when you get there and you don't give up, You'll need to kind of become a design advocate or an art advocate, and really start from the beginning about why, what, who cares about design and art? Why should that matter? You know, and and be able to voice that and sell not only yourself but just the whole culture of it. So being versatile and being able to accept projects that you may not. You know, necessarily want to do or may not be of your expertise, but just help them out to create relationships with people that can um, enable trust and enable um, empathy is really important as well. Um, But I would say one thing that I can offer is just don't give up. You know, and it's easy for you know for people nowadays to stay at companies for two years you know and then move to the next one but change culture change takes a long time and unfortunately yeah (laughs) you know and i think in order for things to actually settle uh people need to stay at places for a while longer um at least at JPL.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Things, things move at different speeds at different places. That's for sure. Yeah. And significantly. Awesome. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. It's been great being able to to get to know you a little bit more and also just kind of discuss what makes you who you are and how things work for you. So yeah, thank you so much for being on the show and, and really appreciate it. And I'm wishing you all the best of luck, and hopefully, perhaps down the road, we can um, work together collaborate on something. I think that'd be a lot of fun because this is like I might not be able to be an astronaut like I wanted to as a child, but at least maybe I can go there visually or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> explore worlds in a different capacity. So, um,
3: but yeah.
2: Excellent. Thank well, you so much for having me um, awesome. today and for just inspiring me. Uh, in in my own work, and we definitely need to to get you to JPL at some point, so I can show you uh, what you've inspired me on, awesome. <laughs> and what you've you know some of the work that I do. But uh, this is great. Thank you so much for for talking to me.
0: And that concludes this week's episode. Big thank yous to Jesse for coming on the show and sharing her time with us this week. You can find links to the show notes for this week's episode at thecollectivepodcast.com slash 146, along with links to our Facebook, Twitter, and iTunes podcast page. Have an amazing day, everybody. Be powerful, be prolific, be positive, enjoy
1: yourselves. See you next time, guys.